Welcome to a Pulp Event podcast, brought to you by the Pulpnet, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines for over 25 years. Online at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event podcast, Chet Williamson reads a presentation written by pulp art historian David Saunders. The presentation, The Shadow Artists, Inside and Out, looks at the artists who painted the covers of the Shadow magazine. This event was recorded on Thursday, August 19, 2021, at PulpFest 2021 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thank you all for being here to talk about the Shadow Artists. Here is the New York City home of Street and Smith on 7th Avenue and 14th Street, where you can see a little banner on the rooftop flagpole that says Street and Smith. And here is the art room in the building where all the illustrators brought their work for review, approval, and assembly for production. In 1930, Street and Smith was selling 100,000 monthly copies of Love Story magazine and Detective Story magazine. In this promotional circular from that year of their publishing empire, you can see those two titles at the very top. As a leading mass media industry, Street and Smith was proud to call themselves the Fiction Factory. They were keenly aware of the fact that American publishing was the business of selling advertising. And here is a 1930 issue of Detective Story with the cover by John Coughlin. True to their image as the Fiction Factory, Street and Smith was in the habit of contracting a single artist to produce an annual quantity of cover art instead of relying on independent freelance illustrators to handle weekly assignments. This was a unique approach for pulp magazines, but it was standard practice for the top slick magazines like the Saturday Evening Post and Collier's. Because of this business model, John Coughlin had a remarkably long-running streak of painting hundreds of covers for Detective Story. One curious detail in this particular cover is the upper left corner where a mysterious peephole in the wall reveals a portion of a sinister scowling face that might look strangely familiar to fans of the shadow. 1930 was the first year that national manufacturers spent more money for radio advertising than magazine advertising. So as not to get left behind, Street and Smith decided to expand into the radio industry. They started with radio programs that used actors reading stories from their top-selling magazines, the Love Story Hour and the Detective Story Hour. To promote this new venture, Street and Smith began to incorporate a new logo design on the covers of their magazines. The magazine on the air. As the legend goes, a talented stage actor, James Lacurto, was hired to be the voice of the radio host on the show, and he popularized the haunting phrase, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men, the shadow knows, followed by ghoulish laughter. The compositions of John Coughlin's cover art for Detective Story, The Magazine on the Air, soon began to feature ominous shadows. This went on for an entire year as the weekly radio program continued to drum up increased sales of weekly issues of Detective Story magazine. 
So much fan mail was addressed to this intriguing radio host that Detective Story magazine began a shadow contest to award $1,000 to whoever could best describe what the shadow looked like. John Coughlin was a graduate of the Chicago Art Institute. He first began to work for a street in Smith in 1913, where he painted covers for the popular. He continued to illustrate magazines for 30 years and eventually created over 1,000 covers to make him the most prolific pulp cover artist. John Coughlin's painted covers for Detective Story featured a variety of shadowy presences, while subsequent issues provided clues, spelled E-W-S, to the shadow's appearance. Here we see a Confederate scarlet pimpernel in a slouched hat and flowing cape. Here's a shadowy tentacled creature. More clues a satanic demon, a skeleton in black hooded cloak, and the devilish omniscience of the grim reaper, or a pillar of society with a secret alter ego. Hmm. And here, after 51 weekly issues, is the final issue of Detective Story that carried the logo magazine on the air. As you can see in the yellow text block, this issue included the names of the shadow contest winners who best described the shadow's physical appearance. When Street and Smith decided to produce a fan photo of the shadow, they had James Licurto dress up in a black hooded cloak while pointing theatrically with his bony finger. And in April of 1931, Street and Smith launched a new magazine, The Shadow. The cover painting for this first issue was originally published on Street and Smith's 1919 magazine, The Thrill Book. The cover was unsigned and uncredited. However, the covers for all 16 issues of this short-lived title were painted by only three artists, James Reynolds, Charles Durant, and Sidney Reisenberg. Each artist had a distinct style of painting from which we can tell Sidney Reisenberg was the artist. He studied at the Chicago Art Institute and illustrated hundreds of magazines from 1911 until 1944, after which time he became an art teacher and portrait painter. Although this cover is sometimes misattributed to Modest Stein, this issue of Thrill Book was produced four years before Modest Stein ever worked for Street and Smith, while Sidney Reisenberg painted ten of the 16 covers for Thrill Book. So he is the first shadow artist. The second cover of the shadow was another reused image from a 1919 Street and Smith pulp, but this one was from an issue of Detective Story magazine, which was done by old steady and reliable John Coughlin. Most uh, pulp, did I, did that go ahead? Yeah, it did. 
Most publishers needed several months for production, so it is understandable that the first two issues of this new magazine relied on reused material. Until the third issue, when the first original cover painting made its appearance, Street and Smith contacted Jerome Rosen to paint this cover. The two figures on the right cast a dark silhouette on the white background, but in a surrealist twist, the shape of their combined shadows resembles the shadow, wearing a fedora hat and pointing a bony finger, while in the lower right corner, the artist placed an inset portrait of the shadow, wearing a spectral cowl and black cape. Jerome Rosen used a split-frame design to show that the shadow existed on another plane from the characters in the drama. The first depiction of the shadow was in accordance with a publicity photo of James Licurto in the costume described by shadow contest winners. This same photo reference was the basis for a line drawing of the shadow that was used in advertising, such as this ad for the Love Story Hour. Paul Orban was the artist who drew this first line drawing of the shadow. He also studied art in Chicago and started uh, first to draw line art for newspapers in 1918. He worked for the Pulps from 1930 until 1960. According to one editor, Paul Orban is a pleasant, soft-spoken man with a deep enthusiasm for the difficult job of visualizing the vague descriptions of writers. Jerome Rosen continued to use this cordoned off format for the next several issues. Here, the shadow joins the central characters in the dramatic scene. Again, he wears a black hat, but at the same time is shown with a black hooded cape in the corner inset for Gangland's Dune. Here, the shadow is shown wearing his black hat and getting blackjacked by a blue hooded villain while at the same time, the shadow also appears in the lower corner inset, smiling in his hoodie. That's a lot more of the face of the shadow than I think we're used to seeing, too. Here again, Jerome Rosen depicts two versions of the shadow, but this was the last time he used that inset frame in the lower right corner for the Black Master. In this iconic image, the artist used the innovative novelty of silver ink for the background. And he later made the same, used the same composition with gold paint. This was a brand new printing technique that made metallic inks affordable for offset lithographic presses. In this cover, Jerome Rosen presented a close-up view of the shadow along with his black hat, black cape with red lining, and a long, thin nose. Another attribute was his golden ring with a large oval red garnet. Jerome Rosen was born in 1895, along with his uh, twin brother, George Rosen. During the First World War, Jerome Rosen was drafted and stationed in France, 
where his visits to the Louvre Museum inspired him to become a painter. After the war, he studied at the Chicago Art Institute and then painted magazine covers from 1925 until 1957. After 12 issues, Jerome Rosen had fully refined all details of the shadow. He then wanted to branch out into the more prosperous fields of illustrating advertisements and slick magazines, so he passed his annual contract on to his twin brother, George Rosen. You can see his painted signature GR in the lower left corner, right at the end of the shadow's cape. This cover again uses the technical novelty of a silver printed background. One of George Rosen's innovations was to design some of his compositions around a large central hand. In this instance, the shadow's hand is gripping various squirming criminals. The disproportion between the size of the criminals and the size of the crime fighter's hand is a visual metaphor that the shadow exists on a different level of reality from common criminals, as though he was a hero with superpowers, also known as a demigod like Hercules. George Rosen began life as a telegraph operator, but by the age of 30, his twin brother Jerome was making good money as an illustrator and painting teacher in Chicago. So George quit his telegraphy career and enrolled in his brother's painting class, after which George entered the field of illustrating magazines in 1927. He went on to paint the most iconic images of the shadow, such as shadowed millions, the big shadow again, the creeping death, The Golden Grotto, talk about that big hand. The Living Joss, Road of Crime. Mox, spelled backwards is Zum. The Wealth Seeker, Charg Monster, Charg, comma, Monster. The Four Signets, Bells of Doom, The Voodoo Master, City of Crime, doing a little Spider-Man there, Partners of Peril, Smashing. The Shadow Unmasks and Cards of Death. By 1937, the popularity of The Shadow had extended from Street and Smith magazines at the newsstands to the radio program and onto the silver screen, where he was portrayed by Rod Lerock in the movie The Shadow Strikes. Here, the publishers used a publicity photo of the Hollywood star and again used the silver background to represent the silver screen. At that time, it was unique to print a photograph on a pulp magazine cover. In 1939, 
George Rosen was replaced by Graves Gladney, who was awarded the contract by Street and Smith to paint all their covers for The Shadow. Sales were still very strong, so he was instructed not to alter the established appearance of The Shadow that was so familiar to the public. However, George Rosen and Graves Gladney had two very different personalities. The temperament in George Rosen's cover art had a theatrical playfulness, similar to a 1930s Charlie Chan mystery movie. While Graves Gladney had the gritty brutality associated with the disillusioned characters in film noir movies. I mean, the guy's name was Graves Gladney. He was born to a wealthy family in St. Louis, although I don't believe that's supposed to be his father. <laughs> he attended Amherst College and studied painting in Paris and London. He began to work as a commercial artist in 1936. Death insurance company here. He worked in New York City. That looks familiar, doesn't it? If you've seen the pulpster. He worked in New York City from 1937 until 1941 when he joined the Army. He served with the 82nd Airborne. He landed in Normandy on D-Day in a combat landing glider. A decade of death to evildoers. Someday they'll do a program on the guys who wrote the cover copy for these things. He made a second glider landing in the ill-fated invasion of Holland with Montgomery's Operation Market Garden. By the end of World War II, First Lieutenant Gladney led his combat division into Berlin. The Crimson Death, if you can, can't quite make that out. When Gladney joined the army, George Rosen was brought back to replace him. I never could have told, could you? In 1942, Street and Smith produced the first Shadow Annual. During this war period, George Rosen created the Book of Death, Death About Town, which part of which Bob Dylan used on his most recent cover art for his album. Not the shadow part, the skeleton in the top hat. As well as the cover for the second issue of the Shadow Annual. That was George Rosen. By 1944, Street and Smith had reduced the format of the Shadow to a digest-sized magazine and gave their annual cover contract to Modest Stein, who had painted so many covers for Love Story since joining the cast in 1920, the staff, rather, in 1922. In a way, he, that he was as old and as reliable as John Coughlin's work for Detective Story. Modest Stein was born in Russia in 1871 as Modest Freda Aronstam. He came to America at the age of 17 in 1888. 
He lived in the Jewish ghetto on the Lower East Side, where he and his cousin fell in love with the future anarchist Emma Goldman, with whom they explored radical politics. After one desperate fiasco, he left his comrades and changed his name to Modest Stein and settled down to drawing line art for newspapers. He joined Street and Smith in 1922 and spent the rest of his life on the assembly line at the Fiction Factory, where he could stamp out pulp covers with his eyes closed. So his work for the shadow tended to have a slapdash style. But looking at him, I wouldn't tell him he had a slapdash style. <laughs> In 1946, boy, there's a change of pace. In 1946, Street and Smith hired the cartoonist Charles Cole to create covers for the Shadow Digest magazine. Charles Cole was born in Philadelphia in 1889, and by the age of 20 was a line artist on the staff at the Philadelphia Public Ledger. He became a syndicated newspaper cartoonist and eventually joined the Jack Binder Art Studio, which produced the Shadow Comics for Street and Smith. I, this is me talking, but the Philadelphia Public Ledger, I'm, I'm wondering if he ever did any of the... Uh, I have a whole bunch of inserts of novels that, uh, you know, when they, the Sunday newspaper used to published condensed version of novels, and they were illustrated, and those, illustrated, those illustrations weren't found anywhere else. I'm wondering if, if Cole might have done some of those. I don't know. But in, 19, in 1947, Charles Cole created the cover for their third and final issue of The Shadow Annual. In 1949, Street and Smith's chairman of the board, Alan L. Grammer, was interviewed by newspaper reporters as saying the pulps were dead and that the future in publishing was in the ladies' glamour magazines. Hey. <laughs> in one final swan song, the Shadow magazine returned to pulp size and featured new covers painted by George Rosen. After only four issues, the magazine folded and Street and Smith left the pulps to produce slick magazines with color photograph covers. This is the last cover of The Shadow. I suppose someone is out there collecting old copies of Mademoiselle, but judging, but judging by today's sky-high prices for old copies of The Shadow, our famous pulp superhero has continued to fascinate fans. Hundreds of artists went on to portray the shadow in comic books, movies, reprints, paperbacks, and novels. But for now, here ends the history of the shadow artists who painted covers for the pulps. You've been listening to a Pulp Event podcast. Brought to you by the Pulpnet, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines for over 25 years. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Also, look for the Pulpnet on Facebook and on Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps. The Pulp Event Podcast is copyright 2021.